My name is Taylor Lyle. I am a senior at Liberty University Online Academy and I am going to be a freshman at the University of Alabama in the fall. Woohoo! Uh, some things I did to prepare to go to college was uh, making good grades, um, obviously praying a lot because it is, you know, my senior year. I went to the University of Alabama to go and uh, do a college tour and it was amazing. Big campus. I was a little bit shocked with the big campus. I'm planning on living in student housing uh, by myself. It's very easy for me to get distracted, so I think you know living by myself would be um, a great option for me to to kind of get in my in my zone and focus. So I want to be a lawyer. Um, it's specifically for uh, family law. I come from uh, a divorced family. So um, being able to help others as they transition into, you know, having two separate homes and um, kind of the, the baggage, I will say, that comes with that. Um, I want to be able to prepare the kids or the families, you know, I want them to be able to trust me. Um, I've been praying in a lot of different ways and I've kind of just let things go because I know I, I can't always be in control of everything that I do. Um, so I've, I just had to give it all to God and just be like, just deal with this and you know if there's anything else that you know I'm dealing with I know you'll you'll have me and you know you'll take care of me we are uh, in a, the middle of a Christmas series that we've been titled eagerly expecting and uh, we've talked about this a little bit already this morning but when you're expecting something to happen you act differently you think differently you plan differently I mean because she's planning on going to college at Alabama next year I mean she's got plans that she's making now, and she's thinking differently about the next few months, and she's acting differently. Well, all too often when it comes to our relationship with God, well, there's just life, and then there's God, and it doesn't, and these two don't really impact until we die, or that's the way we act. We pray, but we don't really expect God to answer. We talk about the promises of God, but we don't expect those to apply to us. And every year at Christmas time, we come back to this story where God entered human history to show how much he loves us. He sent his son into the world to save us, to rescue us. And he expects us to trust him. I mean, he didn't do this for no reason. He did this because we need a savior. And the good news is we have one. And so at Christmas, we celebrate Christ coming into the world. And there are a whole bunch of interesting details about how he came into the world that every year it's fun for me to dive into these stories again. I have people ask me all the time, don't you get tired of saying the same stories again over and over? And I go, no. Because, I mean, you'll see today, there are some things about having expectations, about meeting Jesus, and how this all went about when Jesus came into the world that are terribly important for us. So let me have a word of prayer, and I'm going to ask God to raise our expectation level, our expectation level of him. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, uh, it's exciting uh, to think about Christmas. I look forward to Christmas. I look forward to a couple weeks from now getting together with family. I love Christmas, and I have great expectations, high expectations for our time together. But Lord, I don't want to just have expectations about a holiday. I want to have expectations about you. I have expectations that the reason you came into the world applies to me and that your love for me, that's not just some hypothetical theological note to be filed in the back of my Bible somewhere. 
But, Lord, that your love for me is real. And I can expect you to hear my prayers. I can expect you to forgive me. I can expect you to love me and guide me and show me how I'm supposed to live my life. And so today, Lord, I just, I come before you and I ask that you'd raise my expectation level. That I trust you more. That I'd eagerly expect you to guide me. That I'd eagerly expect you to work through me and in me. God, that's what I'm asking for our time together today. That you bless it, even now. Lord, we expect you to speak to us today and to help us understand some things we need to know about you. Please move me out of the way, Lord, and say whatever you need to say to us today. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Well, an expectation, point one in your outline is this, an expectation is a strong belief that something will happen or be the case in the future. Just like, hey, I have a strong belief I'm going to Alabama. Why? Because I paid the deposit and I, they better let me in. <laughs> I paid the application fee. Well, this story about Jesus reminds us that People had expectations all along that God was sending his son into the world. Today, you're going to hear about two people who are actually there waiting for Jesus when he was presented at the temple after he was born. I mean, this is something. Their names are Simeon and Anna, and they were two elderly people. And on the day when Jesus was presented at the temple, they were waiting there. Now, What's really interesting to me is that you have all these, we have these at our house, we have the nativity scene, you know, things where you've got the little manger and you've got figurines for Jesus and Joseph and Mary and the shepherds and the wise men and Simeon and Anna are right in the same chapter with all the same couple of chapters in the Bible with these, all the other characters, but nobody has them in their nativity set. I mean, this would be really, you know, when you get to heaven, we'll meet these people and we'll go, who are you? I'm Simeon. It's like, well, who are you? It's like, well, I greeted baby Jesus at the temple. You weren't in my nativity set. I mean... I mean, they get bumped for cows and sheep. I mean, how would you feel if you're Simeon? I didn't make the nativity set, but a sheep did. Anyway, so I digress, obviously. Anyway, uh, but listen to this. After Jesus was born, he was presented at the temple in Jerusalem, and a sacrifice was offered to cleanse his mother Mary of ceremonial impurity. Now, this is what's happening. Just listen to a few verses of Luke 2. This is right after the story of the shepherds, and we'll talk about all that next week. So I'm kind of out of sequence here, but um, I always want to hit that story about Jesus' birth the Sunday before, so this is a little bit out of sequence. Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, speaking of Jesus, he was named Jesus, and the name given him, that was the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. Well, then it was time for the purification offering, and that's what we're talking about here, as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord said, if a woman says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Well, eight days after Jesus was born, he was circumcised. And then there was another period, uh, about 33 more days or 32 more days till the 40th day. After 40 days, then a woman was allowed to go back to the temple. Until then, she was ceremonially unclean. 
Um, there were lots of laws given in Leviticus uh, to tell God's people how to relate to him. God is holy, and we're not. God is without sin, and we are sinful. And we live in a fallen, sin-soaked world. And so God gave his people lots of instructions to remind them that when they approached him, they needed to do so very aware of the fact that they needed his forgiveness and his cleansing. And so he gave them strict dietary laws. He gave them all kinds of observances. And there were things that, were, that would cause you to become ceremonially unclean. For instance, if you had an open sore or you were bleeding, um, if you gave birth, if you touched a dead body, if you ate an unclean uh, type of food, something that was declared unclean or touched something that was unclean, you would become spiritually or ceremonially defiled. And then in order to get purified again, you had to follow certain instructions, a prescribed waiting period usually, which could be a day or a week or 40 days after giving childbirth. And then there was, you had to wash, and then you had to offer a sacrifice. And this would then allow you to walk into God's presence. This is what's going on. And so they had to wait for 40 days to bring Jesus to the temple. And Mary and Joseph are bringing him. Now, this is important because... Joseph and Mary, this is a note in your outline, they were fulfilling all the requirements of the old covenant as expected because Jesus had not yet established a new covenant between God and his people. All these laws seem strange to us because we don't observe any of them anymore. And the reason we don't observe any of them anymore is because of Jesus. Under the old covenant, one atoned for, we atoned for our sins. People who followed God would have atoned for their sins by offering an animal sacrifice. The wages of sin is death, and God wants a relationship with his people, and we're sinful. Well, then if we die, we can't have the relationship. But he said, well, you can allow an animal to die in your place. But it's not a perfect one-to-one -one transfer here. It has to repeat, be repeated over and over again. And also, there are many things in this world that will make you impure. And so you have to atone for that, too. And an animal would have to die, in this case, two young pigeons, if you were poor, which they were, that was the offering prescribed in the Old Testament law in the book of Leviticus. And so Joseph and Mary are bringing Jesus to the temple in obedience to the Old Testament law. They're both Jewish. They have grown up under the instruction of the law. And so they're being obedient, even though Jesus is, had they been told that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Now what's interesting about this is, is that as they're presenting him in the temple, under the old covenant, he's coming into the world to bring a new covenant where this won't be necessary anymore. I mean, there's all kinds of fascinating stories when Jesus grew up and carried out his ministry where people would come to him who were completely unclean and completely defiled ritually. They were ceremonially unclean. Like there was a leper one time who came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, please, you can make me clean. You can heal me if you want to. And everybody ran away from lepers because not only could you catch the disease, but even if you just touched him or around him or touched anything that he had, you would become defiled for a certain amount of time. And then you couldn't go to the temple and you couldn't go and worship God as you wanted to until the time was over and you had to wash and then you had to go through all these procedures. And so people would chase people away. They, you could literally pick up rocks and throw them at lepers and say, stay away. I don't want to become unclean. What's interesting is Jesus didn't just heal him from a distance. Jesus went over and touched him. 
And instead of the man making Jesus unclean, Jesus made him pure. There was another time that a woman had been bleeding internally for 12 years. And she touched Jesus. She touched the hem of his robe and she was instantly healed. And instead of her touching Jesus, making him impure, her touching Jesus transferred his purity to her. Now, I want you to let this all sink in because Jesus came to fulfill all the requirements that were given in Leviticus. All the requirements were that a sacrifice needs to be made to atone for your sins. A sacrifice needs to be made to make sure you're ceremonially clean. And Jesus came into the world and said, I will be that sacrifice for all who come to me. And it won't just be a temporary sacrifice that has to be repeated again and again. It will be permanent. I'm bringing a new covenant. This is what's in your outline here. This is, uh, these are a few verses from Hebrews 9. Under the old system, it was the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer that could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from the sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Can I get a free hallelujah here? There we go. And that is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the internal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of sins that they had committed under the first covenant. Under the first covenant, we had to keep over and over again washing and sacrificing, washing and sacrificing and waiting and washing and sacrificing and waiting. And Jesus came and fulfilled all of that. So all who come to them, our sins are washed away in the blood of Jesus. The penalty is paid because Jesus took our sins upon himself. We don't have to wait anymore. We can now boldly walk into God's presence whenever we want. So here are a couple of life applications. God has united you with Jesus Christ, and Christ has made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Hebrews 10, 19, and so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter, and I wanted you to write those in because I need us to understand how important this is. We can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain, the innermost part of the temple in Jerusalem, into the most holy place. I don't have to wait 40 days to be in God's presence. I don't have to sacrifice two pigeons or anything else. And you go, well, John, this is nice, but how does that apply to, I mean, so, okay, good. No, I mean, this is terribly important. Because let me tell you about conversations I have, I'm likely to have next week. I'll probably have it with, certainly by the end of the month, I'll have at least one conversation that goes down this road. I'm talking to someone, and they haven't been in church in three years or five years, or they've been far away from God and other things, and they go, well, I blew it. I mean, I left my wife, I had an affair, other things, I blew it so bad, you know, God will never take me back. Or, you know, I was, I was sober, I was clean for five years, and then I started using again, and I know God will never forgive me now. I promised my wife I would never look at porn ever again, and I have, and now I can't talk to God about it, because I know he'll never accept me. Fill in the blank with whatever the sin would be. And so we come to God, and we, we've blown it. 
And we go, well, I've blown it. I'm impure. I can't go into God's presence now. I can't. And so we have a self-imposed exile. Haven't been to church in five years. Why? Well, I blew it. God will never accept me now. That's precisely what Jesus came to do. And we put ourselves back under the old covenant that now when I blow it, oh, I'm impure. God will never love me ever again. This is why it's so significant that Jesus brought a new covenant. He made us acceptable to God anytime we ever want to go into his presence. When we're at the best of times and the worst of times, we can come to him anytime we want. We can come right on in because he's adopted us into his family and it's like a child coming to his father. Now, this is good news that our world needs to hear. This is good news that many people need to hear at Christmas time. You're not too far away from God. God is not exiling you. He wants you to come to him, especially when you've blown it. We're the ones embracing the old covenant. Well, I got to wash myself. I got to stay away for at least five. You know, I'm putting in, this is some kind of infractions committee up in, in heaven where they're going to give me five years of suspension. What are you talking about? Jesus came to make it possible for us to boldly enter his presence anytime, especially when we've blown it. So I am constantly imploring people, come back to God, come back to church, come back to fellowship. What are you talking about? Come to, come to the Lord. This is why he came. And that's why I love talking about the Christmas story again, because it reminds us every year. This is what's going on. And if you're here today and you felt like I've blown it so bad, God can never accept me now, then you missed the whole point of the Christmas story. God came to save a whole world of filthy, rotten sinners just like you and me. If that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? And we don't have to be afraid that we have to go through some sort of ritual washing now in order to hear, get our prayers heard. All we need to do is come to him and say, God, it's me again. And I thank you that you made it possible for me to approach your throne anytime I want. Oh, this is good news. This is really good news. I mean, we can expect him to hear us. Mm. There's more. Well, on the day that Joseph and Mary brought Jesus to the temple, so they show up there. Oh, and by the way, under the Old Testament law, they had to dedicate the children to the Lord, too. So this is really funny. God places Jesus inside of Mary's womb. Then Mary and Joseph go and present Jesus to the Lord. Lord, here's our child. Yeah, I know. Okay, I just, I mean, don't let that pass. You could meditate on that all day. Lord, here's our child. Oh, really? Yeah, we've met. I think that's just delightful. On the day that Joseph and Mary brought Jesus to the temple to dedicate him, the Holy Spirit led an old man who was expecting to meet the Messiah before he died to meet them. So they show up at the temple. It's 40 days. They're going to offer the sacrifice. They're doing everything exactly right. They walk in the doors of the temple. They're walking through the courtyard of the temple, and an old man comes running up to them and grabs the baby out of Mary's arms. Now, I'm, I don't know how a new mom would feel. I know my, my wife was shocked at times when she would go someplace with a baby. People would just grab the baby out of the stroller and say, oh, look at you. And she'd go, I'm calling 911. Okay, you know, but it was always like, 
oh my goodness, people love to grab babies. Well, this is one where there's an old man they've never met, comes up and not only says, hey, I want to see your baby, but he starts talking about this child. He said, this is the child I've been waiting for my whole life. God told me I wasn't going to die until I met your child. And let me tell you what's going to happen with this child. Listen to this. So at that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. And he was righteous and devout. And he was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and revealed to him that he would not die until he'd seen the Lord's Messiah. So that day, when Jesus and Joseph and Mary show up, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby, Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. And he took the child in his arms and he praised God. He started praising God. And I'll tell you what he said in a minute. But I just want to stop right here and say this. Here's another thing we can expect. Because of a relationship with God, not only can we expect to enter into God's presence whenever we want, we can expect the Holy Spirit to guide us too. Jesus told his disciples, when I go to heaven and prepare a place for you, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And he will guide you. One of the things he's going to do, he's going to guide you into all truth. When the spirit of truth comes, this is Jesus talking, John 16, 13, he will guide you into all truth. Isaiah 30, 21, the prophet Isaiah had spoken of this. Your own ears will hear him right behind you. A voice will say, this is the way you should go, whether to the right or to the left. This is the way. Now, I want you to understand that Simeon was following the direction of the Holy Spirit. And you go, well, I don't know if the Holy Spirit's ever directed me. Oh, I, I guarantee you, this is something you will notice if you will pray about this, and you ask God to remind you of things. There have been so many times when I am praying, or there are times I'm reading my Bible, when I will have a, and I won't hear a voice out loud, but I will have this, I'll have a strong impression, somebody I haven't thought of at all recently, I need to call them. I need to call them today. Has this happened to anybody else besides me? Okay, this is a prompting of the Holy Spirit. Then I will call them, and they will go, I can't believe you called. How did you know to call? And I go, well, I was just praying today, and the Lord put you on my heart. Or there'll be other times it's like I have been visiting somebody in the hospital, and I will really feel like, oh, okay, God, I just need to stop and pray here for a minute. I, I just need to pray. And as I'm praying, someone else will walk up, and they'll go, John, oh, I'm so glad you're here. Oh, could you come pray with me over here? And so my wife just laughs. So I go visit the hospital. She goes, okay, when are you going to come back? And I go, oh, I have no idea. Because I've just determined if I'm there, I'm just going to sit there and say, Lord, is there somebody else that I need to pray with? And almost every time there is. I mean, wouldn't it be, we're supposed to expect God to guide us when we read the Bible that something will jump off the page that I can apply. You, you should expect that every day. That's normal Christianity for those of us who have the Holy Spirit working in our lives. We should expect to be convicted when we're doing something stupid or sinful that we need to apologize for. Yeah, Lord, I need to go apologize. Yeah, you do. We should be expected that if we're doing things the right way that he'll affirm us. Anyway, he led Simeon there that day. And so Simeon had a couple of things he wanted to say. So first of all, Simeon prophesied that Jesus was expected to reveal God to the nations. So he grabs the baby and he says, Oh, sovereign Lord, let your servant now die in peace. I've waited my whole life to meet this child. I can die. Take me home, Lord. It doesn't get better than this. I can die in peace, as you promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He's a light to reveal God to the nations. 
and he is the glory of your people Israel. And Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. I mean, the angel had told them that he would, was the son of God and that he would be a descendant of David and his throne would last forever, but this is even more information. A light to the whole world. Wow. By the way, here's another life application. Jesus expects to reveal God to all the nations on earth through us. Because you might be saying, well, if he was supposed to reveal God to all the nations, then why did God let him die on the cross? And why did he go to heaven? He didn't get the job done. Yeah, he did. He discipled his disciples, trained them. And he passed the mission on to them and said, the same Holy Spirit that's been empowering me will be in you. Go. And he told them this. He said that um, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. So we should expect God to use us. We should expect God to hear our prayers anytime we want. We have access to him. We should expect God to guide us. We should expect God to empower us to be a light to the nations. Here's another point. Simeon prophesied that Jesus was expected to cause division. And then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, many others to rise. He's been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. And as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Well, if he's coming to be a light to all the nations, man, that's going to be great. Everybody's going to be celebrating. Everybody's going to embrace him. Everybody's going to follow him. Mm -mm. No, some people won't. In fact, there were many people who were experts in all that ceremonial washing, and they knew how to wash their hands right, and they knew how to offer sacrifices right. And when Jesus came and said, hey, I came to do away with all that, they said, no, 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 this is how we make our living. And they, he threatened them, and they're the ones who wanted him crucified. <coughs> and Simeon said, hey, I need you to know that some people are going to rejoice and other people are going to oppose him. Here's a life application for you and me. We should expect that living for Jesus will cause some people to rejoice with us and others to turn against us. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2, Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God, but this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we're a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, man, we're a life-giving perfume. First time I ever had that happen was with a college roommate. Um, he was from California. He ran track and uh, great guy, but man, he just loved to party and smoke a lot of pot. I mean, that was his deal. And I invited him to come to a Bible study. I had given my heart to Christ, and I invited him to come to a Bible study with me. He came one time and said, you know, this is not for me. And the longer we stayed in the room together, the more he resented the fact that I was following Jesus. I remember one night he came in after partying real hard, and I'd been studying, and I was reading my Bible before I went to bed. So I told him hello, and he came in. I just finished reading something and closed the Bible and got in bed. I mean, we were in a dorm room, so you're like right across from each other, you know. And uh, I remember and I turned off the light, and I remember he was just, I could tell he was just sitting in the dark staring at me. <laughs> it was really awkward. Anyway, uh, you know, and finally he goes, so did you stay up just to make sure I would see you reading the Bible? And I went, no, that would be weird. No, I didn't know where, when you were coming back. How would I know when you are coming back? 
And uh, he got up and left, and he, he got a transfer out of the dorm room, and I had to go before a review committee because I was trying to proselytize him, is what he said all the time, and ramming my faith down his throat. And it just made things really awkward for me. I'd never had that happen before, that somebody would just reject me. And it was primarily just because of this. It was like I was the stench of death to him. He said, I got to get his room, you know, and he even left that night and goes, quit preaching to me, quit jamming your faith down my throat. I had said goodnight. But man, he was just deeply convicted, apparently. Finally, Simeon also prophesied that Mary could expect to suffer greatly because of her relationship with Jesus. And a sword will pierce your very soul. I mean, Mary stood there at the cross when Jesus was crucified. She heard all the horrible things that were said about him. And the life application for you and me is that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I mean, what happened to me in that dorm room, that's happened many times since. But you can't expect that if you're, you can expect that if you and I are Christians, there will be people that don't like it. And God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you, lie about you, say all sorts of evil things against you because you're my followers. Be happy about it. Be very be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And by the way, Mary saw Jesus die on the cross. She also saw him after he rose from the dead. Mary was there on Pentecost Sunday. Mary was around and saw the ministry take off. And I just want to remind us, these are all expectations. We can expect God to answer our prayers we can expect God to guide us. We can expect God to use us and empower us. We can expect that some people won't like it, and we can expect that that will hurt. But we can also expect that God will greatly reward us when the hurt comes. And if this is good news to you, will you say amen? amen. One final point. There was an old woman. While Simeon was talking, there was an old woman that walked up, and her name was Anna. And she'd also been eagerly expecting the Messiah. And she started praising God and telling everyone about Jesus. So while Simeon is talking, so Joseph and Mary walk in. Old man grabs the baby says, oh, praise God. Let me tell you about this baby. Let me tell you. This is gonna be a, he's going to be a light to the nations. And people are going to be divided over him. And a sword is going to pierce your very own soul too. And while, she's, while he is still talking, an old woman you've never met comes up and goes, oh, praise God. You know who this baby is. Oh, wow. And Joseph and Mary, this is like Tuesday. This is what's happening. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of a man named Famuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they'd been married only seven years. She lived as a widow to the age of 84. And by the way, that could also be translated after she became a widow. She was there for 84 years after that, which would mean she would be over 100. So we're not, but she was old. Anyway, she never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God. And if you're 84, sorry, I just called you old. Anyway, um, she lived in a widow at the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. And she came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. And she talked about the child to everyone who'd been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Last note here is the greatest thing to ever happen in the life of Simeon and Anna was meeting Jesus. The only thing we know about Simeon and Anna is they were there. Well, we also know they didn't make the manger scene. 
the greatest thing that ever happened in their lives was meeting Jesus. And they made the Bible, and we're talking about them today. And I don't want us to ever forget the greatest thing that's ever going to happen to you and me is meeting Jesus. Paul said, everything else that I have is worthless in comparison. So today, I hope as we get with Christmas, we're expecting Christmas in a few weeks. We're expecting to be together with family and friends. I hope we have some other expectations too. I hope today when you pray, you expect God to answer your prayers, even when you blow it. I hope that when you blow it, you would expect that this is the best time to come to Jesus. Because he loved me and he'll accept me. And I don't need to wait 40 days. I don't need to offer two turtle doves. I don't need to wash ceremonially. I can walk right into the throne of heaven and say, Jesus, I know you died for me on the cross. And I'm coming to you again because I need your strength and your power. I need the power to live a godly life. I need you to guide me. I need you to stand by me and give me courage, even if other people mock me for following you. I need you, because the greatest thing that ever happened to me was meeting you. That's the Christmas story. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, today we just come before you and we thank you for the Christmas story. And I thank you for Simeon and Anna. And Lord, I'm going to have to figure out some way to make some figurines to get on our manger scene that will represent Simeon and Anna. Because, Lord, they, uh, they were expecting to meet you. God, we're the ones who don't expect anything out of you. We don't expect you to hear our prayers. We don't expect you to accept us when we blow it. We don't expect you to empower us to be witnesses for you. We don't expect you to give us courage when people mock us or make fun of us. And we're not expecting a reward in heaven when we obey you. We're not expecting anything. Father, forgive us. Father, I pray that we would expect all those things as much as we expect to get together with family around a Christmas tree. If the Lord spoke to you about something that you need to raise your expectation levels on today, would you just pray about that right now and say, God, I'm glad I heard this. I, I needed this. I needed this reminder. I thank you that you love me no matter who I am, no matter what I've done. I thank you that you don't give up on me even when I give up on you. I thank you that you're going to put people in front of me this week that need to hear about Jesus. And you're going to give me the opportunity. I thank you that there are rewards awaiting me in heaven. God, raise my expectation level. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.